This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's getting really hot in here. It's so hot. It's Getting Hot in Here is a programme about giving voice to the people in our community working for environmental and social change. The climate emergency is the defining issue of our lifetime. Our aim is to bring you content that helps us understand the climate crisis and explore actions to help us all to save ourselves. So after an enforced pause for this pandemic, it's Getting Hot in Here returns to clearer, fresher airwaves. COVID-19 has slowed the world down. And that, on the surface, seems to be a good thing for that other deadly global crisis, climate change. One result, the water is now more clear. It's true elsewhere as well. One silver lining to the upheaval, cleaner places, cleaner air. Yeah, so while it looks and sounds great, there's the thought it might only be a temporary lockdown phenomenon. We want to protect our shipping industry, our cruise uh, industry, cruise ships. Uh, We want to protect our airline industry, very important. Travel restrictions have been lifted in the province where the outbreak started, and nearby factories run by Honda, Nissan, and other car makers have begun their return to business as usual. Which means air pollution is back too. So, this time, ideas for how to keep the place cleaner for longer, like indefinitely. Soon, what this and the next generation are thinking around the new New Zealand normal. But first, for starters, an entree if you like, the pros and pros of vegetarianism and veganism with Victoria. Animal agriculture is responsible for the fact that we are in the next largest mass species extinction. Hi, I'm Victoria and I'm a vegetarian. Why? For many of the same reasons that Earthling Ed, a UK-based vegan and animal rights activist, talks about... Animal agriculture is also responsible for causing some of the worst environmental calamities that we are currently facing as a species. It's responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire transportation system combined. It's responsible for up to 91% of Amazon rainforest destruction. It's also responsible for things like topsoil erosion, land desertification and oceanic dead zones, which are vast areas of the ocean the devoid of all life. In fact, some scientists predict that by the year 2048, we could have fishless oceans. In our lifetime, we could have fishless oceans. How do you know if someone is a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. It's a common complaint that us rabbit food enthusiasts who have sworn off meat or animal products entirely voice our opinions too loudly. We're shoving our diets down your throats and force-feeding you information you don't want to hear. Would it make it easier to swallow if we said, here comes the aeroplane, as we fed you the facts that haunt our animal agriculture industry? Probably not. We find them hard to stomach too. In Year 13 Biology, we do a unit on evolution, which covers why humans started eating meat in the first place. It's really simple. Meat is high in calories, and at the time we needed them to grow and evolve. However, in today's calorie-rich environment, we no longer need to rely on it for survival. Often, people believe you can't survive without meat. 
You're not an obligate carnivore. As much as you want to compare yourself to a wolf or a lion because you think you're a macho man, and if it wasn't possible to survive without it, why, pray tell, am I still alive? It makes more sense to take the environmentally friendly route just because we can. We're omnivores. We have an option. The agriculture industry accounts for almost half of our country's greenhouse gas emissions, which is huge. Uh, and you know, that's mostly animal agriculture. That's how our economy works at the moment. New Zealand Vegetarian Society spokesperson Philip McKibben, who is also a vegan. Uh, so when you... Uh, cut down on meat, when you cut down on dairy, when you reject those, those foods, um, if you can feed them this food, uh, then you are actually uh, having an impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, but there are other environmental impacts as well. Um, pollution to land and rivers is a big one, and that's uh, received a lot of media attention recently. And that's, uh, that's a result of dairy farming for the most part. Uh, and Kiwis are becoming more aware of this. Uh, and the dairy industry uh, is coming under a lot of pressure to change. And it, this is clear from how much they're actually talking about the problem. They wouldn't be having these conversations if they weren't feeling threatened and if there wasn't actually a problem. More and more Kiwis are getting on board with plant-based living and waking up from the meat industry's brainwashing. According to research from the New Zealand Vegetarian Society, we knew that 1 in 10 Kiwis were avoiding meat some or all of the time, but it seems that more and more New Zealanders are looking at plant-based alternatives. 2019 saw veganism going mainstream, with many food companies releasing new vegan products. 2020 will likely see its popularity grow even further. It's easier than ever to cut meat out of your diet, so why don't we? Eating meat is so normalised in today's society. It makes it difficult to make the change because it's something we've done since we've been old enough to eat solid food. It may be difficult, but it's not impossible and it is necessary. Make no mistake, there is not a single living being alive on this planet today that is not negatively affected by our consumption of animal products. So I could ask you the question again. Are our taste buds worth more than the life of an animal? But that doesn't even cover it all. The question should be, are our taste buds not only worth more than the life of an animal, worth more than our own existence, worth more than the life of this planet, and in essence, worth more than every single living being on this planet? There are three reasons to go vegetarian or vegan that we just can't ignore anymore as the consequences to how we treat the earth and the animals are starting to catch up to us the environment, the animal's well-being, and our own health. According to a study published in the Journal of Science, farmland could be reduced by 75% and still feed the entire world. 83% of farmland is used for dairy or meat production, but it only produces 18% of the calories and 37% of the protein in our diets. It is also behind 60% of agriculture's greenhouse gas emissions. This farmland is responsible for the obliteration of diverse native forests and ecosystems. In New Zealand, 48% of our greenhouse gases are from agriculture, significantly higher than other countries. The leader of the study quoted before, Joseph Poor from the University of Oxford, said that Agriculture is a sector that spans all the multitude of environmental problems. Really, it's the animal products that are responsible for so much of this. 
Avoiding consumption of animal products delivers far better environmental benefits than trying to purchase sustainable meat and dairy. Going vegetarian solves part one of a two-part issue. By being vegetarian or vegan, you're making your diet better for the environment and following a worldwide trend towards plant-based living. The second part is the plastic our food comes in, but that on its own is worth a whole nother episode. On top of this rather inefficient use of our natural resources, we must consider the harm done to the animals involved. I've found over my life, arguing the ethics of eating animals, the popular opinion is that animal lives are worth less than human ones. We think we're smarter, better and more sophisticated, but what we need to realise is that A. The earth doesn't belong to us and we coexist with these species. B. We're essentially overgrown monkeys. And C. If you've watched as many YouTube fail compilations as I have, or have kids, you'll know humans can be very, very dumb. We're not superior to animals, so why do we think we have the right to kill them? Here, I am going to talk about the word humane. Adjective. Having or showing compassion and benevolence. How do you compassionately, benevolently or humanely take the life of an animal that does not want to die for an unnecessary reason? You can't. Humane slaughter is an oxymoron. It can't ever exist because we can never justify taking that life of an animal when they don't need to die and therefore we can never do it compassionately or benevolently. Sorry to sound like I'm pitching a bad horror movie to you, but this is the reality for the hundreds upon thousands upon millions upon billions of animals that meet their deaths so they can fill your plates. Take this as an exercise of empathy. Put yourself in their shoes, then take a trip back to the basic lesson we learn in primary school. Would you like it if it was done to you? Finally, think about your own health. Multiple studies have been done that show high red meat consumption leads to issues with your heart and bowels, not to mention the fact that it's high in calories too. Hello, obesity epidemic. Another problem that's a whole nother kettle of fish is the plastic content of our kaimoana. Our oceans are drowning in plastic, so much so that we're consuming it when we eat fish. Microplastics have been found in seafood, and I don't know about you, but I like my food plastic-free. Right about now, it may all seem a bit scary and overwhelming. Take a deep breath and understand that you can do something and you are in control. You're in control of your diet and your actions, and you're in control of your views on climate change. To start out with, being vegetarian or vegan can be a little difficult. You don't know what you're doing, what to eat, or how to cook tofu. It's a learning process. Do your research, have a little patience, and you'll soon become an expert kitchen whiz who makes an awesome crispy tofu stir-fry. I did it, along with almost a third of New Zealanders. So can you. Here's Philip McKibben, spokesperson for the New Zealand Vegetarian Society. I think it can be a lot easier, especially when you're starting out thinking about vegetarianism and veganism, uh, to uh, lean on old ways of doing things, things that are familiar. Uh, It can be difficult making a change. I think in the past it was... uh, a bit more difficult to be vegetarian and vegan. Uh, but these days, there are so many choices. There's so much information out there. And even things like dining out, uh, most restaurants you go to will have uh, vegetarian and vegan options. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier than people imagine it will be. I think we have a lot of stumbling blocks in our minds. But if you uh, decide that vegetarianism is something that you want to try, and you're serious about that, and you put in a little bit of thought, and you talk to the people around you, 
you'll actually find that it's not that difficult at all. Do a little research before you start. Changing anything in your life can be more stressful than it needs to be if you don't prepare a little beforehand. You'll thank yourself later. Think about what you're eating. A few rules of thumb are to make like Harold the giraffe and eat your 5 plus a day and make that 5 plus a day a rainbow. Vegetables and fruits are bursting with flavours and vitamins and minerals and you need them. Google is a great resource for recipes and nutrition information. Just make sure you get it from a reliable source. Cutting out animal products from your diet is one of the best things you can do for yourself, the animals, and most importantly, the environment. And that is, of course, why we're making this series. Our actions do make a difference. I think if all of us, or if a lot of us, were making changes, it would have a huge effect. And if none of us made changes, it wouldn't have any effect. Uh, Things would stay the same. So our actions do count. I think uh, where we get a little bit confused here is that we tend to think about things in terms of individual action or collective action. So things that we can do um, as one person or as a few you know, individuals versus things that we can do when we're working together or things that the government can do, for example. And we tend to think of these as one or the other. So, you know, I'm not going to go vegan because I can't, you know, my actions aren't going to make a difference. What we really need is legislation that uh, is going to deal with pollution. Uh, and I think that way of thinking is a little bit... Uh, Dishonest, personally, I think we need to think about both. I think we need individual change and collective change. So we need people like you and me saying, actually, we're going to take responsibility. This is our planet. Uh, you know, these animals uh, are being affected by our actions, so we need to be more responsible here, while at the same time pushing for collective action. Your taste buds are not worth killing the planet over, and quite frankly, tofu and veggies taste amazing, you just don't know how to cook. Yet. We're in a climate crisis, we need to act fast. If you go vegetarian or vegan, do your research first, eat the rainbow and get your 5 plus a day. And lastly, don't be silent. Start the change you want to see with yourself. Get your voice heard so we can save the planet. You're listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. As the government plans its long-term project of economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, many people are urging a truly transformative response, one that's going to help us transition to a sustainable, low-carbon economy and a more equitable and just society. Climate change is the biggest challenge of our time. And for us here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that means for this generation, this is our nuclear moment. Generation Zero is one group that's calling on the government to make climate justice a priority in its economic decision-making. We to truly reflect that that is what this means for us We have to start moving beyond targets. We have to start moving beyond aspiration. We have to start moving beyond statements of hope and deliver signs of action. Today, I'm joined by Elliot Hughes, spokesperson from Generation Zero. Kia ora, Elliot. Good morning. 
Can you tell us what is the Generation Zero COVID-19 response? So, in summary, uh, we think that the government, uh, as they come to spend money to stimulate the economy, um, in particular as they spend money on new infrastructure projects, we think that there's some really important principles and ways of thinking about what kind of projects we fund that need to be taken into account. And in particular, we think the government needs to be prioritising projects that put us on a pathway to a just transition to a low-carbon economy uh, rather than projects that support um, the sort of unsustainable pre-crisis status quo that we know couldn't have continued even without COVID-19. Now, the government also just recently announced that they will be fast-tracking some shovel-ready infrastructure projects uh, that will limit the amount of feedback, well, basically will not allow feedback from the public on these projects. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So we understand uh, the government's need for urgency. Um, we don't think that this would be an appropriate response in normal times. We also acknowledge that this isn't a normal time, but we think that if they are going to change the way the consenting process works uh, and sort of streamline that process and essentially bypass the loss of the RMA, then in that case they need to think really wisely about who's going to be on those expert panels and make sure they represent a variety of stakeholders, like iwi, for example, rather than perhaps just representing business or people who already have lots of power. So our thought is they need to think really carefully about who they put on, not just fast-tracking things for the sake of fast-tracking. Is your organisation going to offer some suggestions in that regard? Absolutely. Um, we encourage everyone to uh, make their thoughts known to the government about um, individual things like the RMA, but more generally about the kind of New Zealand we want to see. And in fact, we have uh, a social media campaign which is just launched, which we're doing in partnership with uh, the School Strike for Climate, which is on exactly that hashtag Unite Behind Climate. You may have seen possibly um, some of our Facebook frames out in the wild. Uh, and we're really encouraging people to talk about the kinds of uh, things they want to see in a future New Zealand um, and to hit uh, Jacinda Ardern or Grant Robertson, the finance minister, and to use the hashtag to really build a bit of momentum around that and to make it really publicly clear that New Zealand as a country wants to see uh, a transition away from polluting polluting infrastructure and away from what has been called a brown recovery to something that's a bit greener and something that's a bit better for all of us. So can you go into a bit more detail there? What specifically would you like to see the money be invested into? We have some principles which follow on from what the uh, New Zealand Climate Change Commission has already released uh, about making sure that investment is going to be useful in the long term. Uh, it's not just going to be economic stimulus for the sake of doing stuff right now, but it's going to have productive benefit. Today, there are scenes in airports not seen since the dawn of the jet page. 
global demand for air travel down 80%, an industry in free fall. If, it's, if we have no state help uh, in June, probably half of the airlines will, uh, will go bankrupt. For example, if firms are going to be bailed out as a result of the crisis, we want those kind of bailouts, especially to polluting industries like airlines, to be conditional on a meaningful way on making some changes to their business practices. Uh, we also have some specific projects that we are encouraging the government to think about, like expanding our rail network, uh, increasing electrification of that rail network, and also some really local ones. For example, for Christchurch, uh, we support some of the projects that the Christchurch City Council has uh, said they're going to take to the government for funding. Um, for example, the Christchurch City Council is intending to build two new major cycleways. We think cycleways are really good, especially in Christchurch because it's so flat here, which makes it much easier than, say, Wellington. Uh, and also... We don't support all the projects they have. There's some we actually, we're not sure they're such a great idea, like some of the road expansions that the city council wants to do. So those are the kind of things we're advocating for across the country. Mm. And what about in agriculture, the farming sector? Um, what we were really excited to see is the government is asking right now the Climate Change Commission to uh, explore what kind of emissions reductions in the uh, biogenic methane space might need to be made uh, and what kind of mechanisms we might use. So we're really looking forward to the outcomes of that uh, and what should be done in that area. But at the same time, we also we don't want to leave anyone behind with our transition. So where new restrictions come into place, we also need to take steps to make sure that communities aren't being harmed and that we're building a better world for all parts of New Zealand, not just for uh, inner city dwellers that can easily bike places, for example. What about improving the energy efficiency of homes? Absolutely. We are really supportive of efforts to improve energy efficiency. And one of the important things that we, we want to say in that space, uh, and we have said to the government already, is that they should be taking this opportunity to improve uh, New Zealand's housing stock, especially its social housing stock, but also to do that in a way that uh, benefits not just us as a country by being more energy efficient, but benefits the people who actually use the home. For example, uh, installing solar hot water is amazing, but it's also really important to make sure that insulation is up to scratch so that everyone has uh, the warm, dry, healthy home that they deserve. And what about um, things that people can do? in their homes themselves, learning to grow more food, uh, learning about food waste reduction. Do you see the government playing a part in supporting community organizations to Im improve that sort of education? We think education is really important uh, and we think the government should be encouraging people to make tangible steps. We think there's some, some really great opportunities uh, have come out of this crisis already. I know I personally have been really heartened to see all the people on their bikes taking advantage of the fact that roads have been a bit quieter and we're really hopeful that that's going to continue and we think the government should be taking steps to support those kinds of things like, as you say, reducing food waste, uh, 
or especially reducing transport, because at least in Christchurch, uh, 53% of our greenhouse gas emissions in Christchurch City come from transport. So we think there's some really exciting opportunities as a result of this lockdown and as a result of people maybe turning to their bikes a bit more uh, to make some real change in that area. Mm. What about the buses? I've seen a lot of buses um, driving around the streets throughout this lockdown period empty. We're big supporters of, of public transport at Generation Zero. We understand this is a really difficult time for public transport because social distancing rules uh, and, of course, lockdown itself have made it really hard to make public transport work as well as it usually does. But we don't think we should stop supporting public transport uh, as a result of that because ultimately it's going to be more needed than ever Uh, As we come out of this crisis and as we move towards that lower carbon economy, public transport's just going to become more and more important. So how can it be improved? So we want to see funding being allocated to improve bus lanes because bus priority routes make buses a lot more attractive. Uh, Everyone wants to take the bus if the bus is faster than taking their car. Um, And also more covered bus shelters, for example, is a really practical step that can be taken because then, again, more people want to use the buses because you don't get wet when it rains. So there are really practical steps we can take which will increase ridership numbers. And what's been found uh, in the experience in Auckland is that if you improve your network, ridership numbers do increase. And how many members do you have locally? Uh, Locally? As we're a university club, our numbers do fluctuate around exam season, for example. Uh, and of course, we're always welcoming new people who want to get involved uh, and want to make a difference. And what's the best way for them to get in touch? So we have a website. If you reach out to us uh, on our Generation Zero website, um, you can contact the people from Christchurch and they'll be able to link you in with our weekly meetings and with the rest of our team. Yeah, I think we'd really like to encourage everybody to get behind our Unite Behind Climate campaign and to think about what is the kind of New Zealand you want to see because we won't ultimately be going back to the way things were before COVID-19. The world has changed and it will be different. The question for all of us is what side of history will we choose to sit on? So now is a great opportunity to take that seriously and say, what kind of world do I want to see? Uh, And then to tell other people about that so we can have a really good conversation about how as a country we're going to do things differently and how as a city, how as Christchurch, we're going to do things differently. So I think that's a really important conversation that everyone should be having right now. All right. Thanks so much, Elliot. You've been listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. If you want to check out the podcast, go to the Plains FM website. So next time, now that we're all in the clear air post-coronavirus lockdown, down under at least, it's getting hot in here, we'll ask, how has the freshest, cleanest water in the world become so filthy so quickly? Many thanks to everyone who helped make this program, Victoria Harwood and Sheldon Murtha. And I'm Laura Gartner. Thank you for listening. Matewa. wa.